While he was in Bethany, that's Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me Prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. We're going to pray and uh, then we're going to start. Father, we thank you for your word. I want to ask you to come and open your word to us by your spirit this morning. Speak into our hearts and lives and challenge us. And expose us, Lord God, to the truth, that the truth might set us free in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a famous painter, the last couple of, uh, last hundred or so years, called Gustav Dorr. And uh, he was teaching some students to paint. He had a master class going on. And uh, he was asking them to paint a picture of Jesus. And so they were working on it, and uh, as he was going around, uh, giving encouragement, giving feedback, speaking to the students about their work, um, he said to them this, perhaps if you loved him more, you would paint him better. Larry Crabb in his book, Finding God, says, the core problem is not that we're too passionate about bad things, but that we're not passionate enough about good things. This morning, God wants us to, be, uh, to provoke us to be passionate about him and his son, Jesus Christ. And the incident that we have just read from the book of Mark is clearly significant. It's recorded in three of the Gospels. It's not recorded in Luke. And it occurs in uh, the home of someone called Simon the leper in the village of Bethany. It's a mile or so outside uh, the uh, city of Jerusalem. And according to John's gospel, the one we didn't read, the woman in the story is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead probably just maybe just a few months earlier. And there's a meal in Simon the leper's house in honor of of Jesus. A number of his disciples and closest companions are present. They're reclining around the table. They're enjoying his company. There's a a little bit of tension in the air because Jesus over previous weeks has been talking about uh, uh, dying and uh, they're all a bit confused but it's it's left something hanging in the air. But essentially they're enjoying being in his presence. And then suddenly there's one of those moments. The next few minutes probably unfolded in silence, and it was probably like slow motion. 
And afterwards, Jesus himself said, no one will forget what happened tonight. Mary comes into the room. She's carrying an alabaster jar of expensive perfume. And to everyone's surprise and shock, she breaks the jar and proceeds to pour the contents over Jesus as he's reclining at the table. She then unbraids her hair and then she dries her fi- his feet with her hair. That's what uh, the versions, as you pull them all together, that's what they say. Awkward. An awkward moment. The general feeling you pick up is embarrassment, except for the one person who really mattered. Bizarrely, Jesus seems delighted with what Mary has done. He seems to love her passionate commitment. And as so often happened when the disciples were around Jesus, they were about to learn a profound lesson. And in fact, it's a lesson that every one of Jesus' followers in every age needs to get. And God wants to speak to us about it this morning. You see, Jesus desires our passionate commitment. It's what he expects from his church. In the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, Jesus is speaking to seven of his churches. And he says to one of them, the church in Ephesus, which is probably where John, who was around the table uh, that night, uh, John had been based for many years. And this is what Jesus said to that church. I know what you do, how hard you work and never give up. You never stop trying. You've endured troubles for my name and have not given up. But I have this against you. You have left the love you had in the beginning. So remember where you were before you fell. Change your hearts and do what you did at first. If you don't change, I will come. And Jesus says, I will, I will close the church down. I expect you to be a church of passionate commitment. Jesus loves our passion for him. So why does God want a church that's so passionate, passionately committed to Jesus? The Bible explains it very simply. It uh, talks about the relationship of Jesus to his churches in the same way of a bridegroom to his bride. Joshua Harris, in his book, Stop Dating the Church, makes the point simply and clearly, for many, involvement with the local church is more like dating than it is about the passionate commitment which should mark a marriage. Are you dating the local church? Or are you passionately committed to it? John Stott says this, if the church is central to God's purpose, as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed in the center? This morning, from the passage we read, God wants to speak to us about passionate commitment. And the first thing I believe God wants to say is this, that passionate commitment incurs a cost. I'm a Southampton follower, and uh, over these last years, following Southampton has uh, uh, passionately has incurred a cost. 
having to sit there when Manchester United sent us down into the championship with Joe, my son, sitting on the terraces. That moment was a miserable moment. Walking over many, many games after Southampton played terribly over the Itchin Bridge. Long walk home, miserable. There have been moments of great joy, but it costs to be a Southampton supporter. It, it costs to be a Southampton supporter. But I want to tell you this, to be a follower of Jesus Christ incurs a cost. It incurs a cost. There is a cost of following Jesus which cannot be avoided. Jesus puts it like this. There's a cost to be counted and a cross to be carried. Mary's actions just give us a little insight into what that means. What she did was costly. It was costly materially for her. Nard was incredibly expensive. I've got some aftershave called Million. I've got this big jar of it called Million. But I want to tell you, it's not that expensive. If you smell it, you probably think, oh, what's that horrible smell? Nard was expensive. Mary broke this jar, holding the nard. She poured it over Jesus' head and feet. John says she poured it over his head. Mark says she poured it over his feet. D.A. Carson says there was plenty of enough, enough nard in that jar. A pint of nard, pure nard. There was enough for both. Basically, Jesus was drenched in this perfume. It would have cost about one year's wages. Mary either came from a very wealthy family or it was an heirloom. It would be the equivalent today of throwing and giving away your pension. One commentator maybe suggests that it may have been set aside for her dowry. If she was going to get married, what he was saying is, that she gave away what would have been the thing that she needed to get married. It cost her everything. When I left Swansea in 1988 to move down this way, I just remember the God speaking to me about moving and leaving. And I remember it literally cost everything. I left my friends, I left my home, I left my job. I moved down here, I didn't know anybody. Following Jesus is costly. It can cost you. But it's a price worth paying. It was costly material, but it was also costly emotionally. You see, Mary's passionate commitment caused a real stir. I wonder if she undenared about what she was about to do. I wonder if she wondered what people were going to think. She walks into a crowded room where everybody knows her. There's no anonymity for her. There's nowhere to hide. Not only does she pour this perfume over Jesus, it says she unbraids, she she takes her hand, she dries it, dries his feet with her hair. A Jewish girl did not do something like that. That was the act of a prostitute. What Mary did was radical. It was scary. After this, her reputation could be in tatters. But do you know what? She simply doesn't care. Or if she does care, her passionate commitment for Jesus outweighs any of the anxieties. 
You know, the proverb says this, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than gold or silver. I mean, we all want people to think well of us, don't we? All of us are prone to worry about what others think. All of us do it. Maybe you've worried about and been anxious about what people around you, and your, you have community group in your house. We've had community group in our house, and, and there are our front window. People can look in. And I've remembered moments when we're in the middle of worship. We've got our hands in there. We're singing loud. And I'm looking out the window, watching one of my neighbors walk by looking through the window. And I'm just hoping that Dave House doesn't do one of his interpretive dances across the front. I'm thinking, Dave, don't do it. There are moments when you're somewhere and someone does something and they they perhaps they'll pray. I was out with a, a local church leader, really nice guy, and we're sitting outside a cafe just uh, on North Walls, and we're sitting out in the street, and he says to me, Steve, shall we pray? And I went, yeah, okay, let's pray. And then he starts to pray, and um, then he's, as he's praying, he says, ho, he, ho, ho, hallelujah, ho. And I'm thinking, uh, do you know, in that moment, I'm thinking, who's, who's listening? Who can hear? Because there's something in us, isn't it, that gets slightly embarrassed at someone else's passionate commitment. The fear of man, Proverbs tells us, will prove to be a snare. Mary didn't give two hoots what anyone else thought. She was more bothered about what Jesus thought, and so should we. You see, it incurs a cost in terms of Emotionally, It incurs a cost in terms of our lifestyle. You see, Mary's passionate commitment impacted the way she lived. This incident was not a one-off. Mary had a history of passionate devotion. We read of Mary on two other occasions. On the first, we find her sitting at Jesus' feet while her sister Martha is preparing a meal. And Martha is getting really uppity about it. And she comes to Jesus in the end. She blows a gasket and she says, Jesus, can't you tell my sister to come and help me? And Jesus rebukes Martha. She says, Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has chosen to be at my feet and be near me. The other occasion we read of Mary is in the the book of John. We find her coming to Jesus and just falling at his feet. On all three occasions, there is a single thread. Mary loved being at Jesus' feet. It's a posture of humility. You see, as far as Mary was concerned, Jesus came first. There's no indication that she ever married. And if the alabaster jar was her dowry, maybe this was her defining moment. Yet irrespective of this, Mary will be forever remembered for her passionate devotion to Jesus that night. You know, for many, loneliness is a real issue. Maybe you've not married. Maybe you've never found the right person. Maybe you've had to hold the line because there wasn't 
never, a, a Christian guy, Christian girl never came around for you. Maybe you've been widowed. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you've, you're in a relationship where there doesn't seem to be a lot of love. You can be lonely in a crowd. Following Jesus can cost. And I, as a pastor, I wish I could make it right for you. I wish I could put it right. I wish I could sort it out for you. But I want to tell you this. I'll tell you the truth. Following Jesus passionately is worth it. It will be worth it in the end. Our our worship, our devotion to Jesus should be a lifestyle. It incurs a cost, but it also reveals our faith. You see, everyone at the table there is, in, is there in honor of him. We've come here this morning to honor Jesus. Yet Mary goes above and beyond what any expected. Her actions were a declaration of faith. You see, firstly, she was declaring that Jesus was her king. You see, she was demonstrating it in a prophetic act. She was anointing him. Nard was imported from India. It came from the, uh, the root of a nard plant. It was hugely expensive to bring. And so only the wealthy or royalty could afford it. And it was used to anoint royalty. In the Song of Songs, uh, in the Old Testament, we read this. And it's written about Solomon and his bride. And it, the bride says this, While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. The bride of King Solomon is expressing her love for him. She loved King Solomon. And what Mary was doing, whether consciously or unconsciously, She was outworking this prophetically. She was declaring to all, I love Jesus. He is everything to me. I am so passionate about this man, this son of God. He is my king. He is the Lord of my life. What about you? Is Jesus king in your life? What about over your money? What about over your tongue? What about over your relationships? What about when he says, get baptized? What about when he says, forgive as you've been forgiven? What about when he says to you that that difficult situation is an opportunity for grace? Passionate. Commitment involves obeying the king. The second thing that her actions declared was that Jesus is her savior. You see, it's not clear what Mary understood or didn't understand about Jesus' impending death. I tend to think that she'd caught something. She'd understood something of what Jesus had been saying, that he was going to die, that he was going to go to a cross, I think she'd understood, she'd got something. And so her act 
was a preparation for his burial. It was timely. She was acknowledging that Jesus was her Savior. Is he your Savior? Are you a passionate worshiper of Jesus Christ? You see, it's interesting that there was no one else in the room who followed her lead. No one else responded to her passionate commitment. There's a silence. Sometimes we can miss the moment. I was at West Point and um, Michael Reeves was preaching and he was preaching about Jesus and when he speaks he's a, he's a little bit plummy. He's got, it sounds like he's got a plum in his mouth. And so it's quite difficult at the beginning. But as he starts to preach, he's preaching about the glory of Jesus Christ. And it was absolutely magnificent. And it got to the end and everything within me wanted to stand up and cheer and say, that is amazing. That is fantastic. And do you know what I didn't? I didn't because I was more bothered what other people would think if I was the only one standing up cheering. And I missed the moment. I want to tell you, if Mary was there, she'd have been on a seat, clapping and cheering. Jesus loves people of passionate commitment. People who know that he's their saviour. You see, Mary gave the best thing she had. God gave his best thing for us. He gave his beloved son for us on the cross. He was broken and poured out. Mary broke an alabaster vase, jar. Jesus was physically broken for you on the cross. Passionate commitment reveals our faith. You know, Jesus' sacrifice for us. Do you spend time reflecting on it? Do you stand back and think on what he's done for you? Because if you do that, you cannot help but be a passionate worshiper. There's a great old hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain... I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. A wonderful, wonderful hymn. When we survey, when we survey, when we stand back, when we look at, when we gaze, and when we think about, when we consider what Jesus did for us on the cross, how he gave his life, the Son of God, dying for us, that we might be forgiven, we might be free. That should cause us to stand up and be passionate worshippers of Jesus Christ. Our passionate commitment reveals our faith. Finally, it provokes a response. People are provoked when they see our love for Jesus. Paul says, to some it's the aroma of life, and to others the smell of death. It will provoke a response. The aroma of Mary's act filled the house, we're told. Her act of extravagant love changed the atmosphere. God wants us to be people who change the atmosphere by our passionate worship of his Son. 
passionate commitment leaves an aroma. It almost always provokes a response in people around. Who was there that night? Who was round the table? These people had come to honor Jesus, just like you have this morning. Simon the leper. Interesting, Simon the leper. No one was allowed to go into the house of a leper. They were unclean. You weren't allowed to. A Jew was not allowed to go close to one. They were unclean. They had to keep a distance. Inevitably, this guy had been healed by Jesus. And Jesus is in his house and he's celebrating Jesus and all that he's done for him and what he thinks about him. Simon the leper is there. John tells us that Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. Now, Lazarus is Mary's brother. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him from the dead. This man loves Jesus, and he's sitting there at the table. Jesus' disciples are there. Peter's there. John's there. The one that uh, uh, the, the Gospels say that Jesus loved the disciple that Jesus loved. He loved them all, but it's a special relationship with John. His disciples were there. Martha is there. Martha, again, is outworking her love for Jesus. She's in the kitchen again. She can't have it. That's, the way, that's just the way she's wired. This house is full of worshippers of Jesus. And yet Mary comes in and she pours this perfume, this radical, passionate commitment, this act. She pours it out in front of them all over Jesus. And what is their reaction? Silence. They're embarrassed. No one, no one says anything positive. For some, money clouded the issue. It says the disciples said, what a waste. They're driven by Judas. It's probably Judas who stopped by. A number of them go, yeah, what a waste. Yeah, you're right, Judas. That money could have been given to the poor. We could have, we could have done so much with that money. Judas' motives were not pure. But the other disciples, seems that a number of them got caught up in that as well. What a waste. so easy to be like that. My son Joe came home from, some of you were at the prayer night on Friday night, heard me say this. My son came home from doing a a gap year with a church in Canterbury and uh, he, he came home and he just wanted to talk to me all summer, took him back to, uh, took him back, started university in University of Kent, Uh, yesterday drove him up there. And uh, he said to me over the summer, he said to me, Dad, he sits me down, he said, Dad, he said, Dad, I don't want to waste my life. I do not want to waste my life. I want to be sold out for Jesus Christ. And he's talking like this to me. And do you know, there was something in me that was, wanted to say, calm down, son. Calm down. Calm down. And I held back. I bit my tongue and I went away and I felt God rebuke me. I remember back to when I was, I was his age, just a bit older. And I was just like that. I wanted to be sold out for Jesus. 
And I gave up my job and I moved down here. I had nothing. I lived by faith. I had no means of income. I was right. My dad was shocked by what I did. And there am I thinking, I'm going to tell my son to calm down. How dare I? I want to tell you, if you've come as a student to university, I want to tell you, be sold out for Jesus Christ. Do not cut any corners while you're here. Don't get caught up in the drink culture. Don't get caught up with sleeping around. Be sold out for Jesus Christ. He deserves your passionate commitment. Be all out for him. Acts of devotion like this reveal what's going on in our hearts. You see, it's so easy to take for granted what God has done for us and find ourselves embarrassed by others who are more passionate than us. Mike Bickle says this in his book, Passion for Jesus. I want to do the extravagant thing for God out of love and gratitude. I want to go beyond that which is required. I want him to reap his full inheritance that is intended from my life. How tragic, how grievous, how unnecessary it is to waste our life in this age through carelessness, passivity, and desire for other things. You see, the definition of a fanatic is someone who cares more than you do. And fanatics for Jesus are nervous and too easily cause us to brand them extreme, Jesus freaks. The question I want you to consider is this. Does that say more about us than it does about them? You see, the disciples led by Judas were indignant. They rebuked her harshly. Jesus says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What they were saying was coming from something deep down in their hearts. They were offended at the waste. They sought to depreciate a good act. Subtly they hint that something could have been uh, better, could have been done. Something more could have been done with uh, that perfume if we'd sold it. J.C. Ryle, and quoting an older writer, says this, The more graceless people are, the more ready they are to find fault with and blame others and to see no beauty in what they do. Mary gave while others held back. After Jesus commended her, how they must have regretted not being as passionate. It provoked a response in the people around, but it also provoked a response in Jesus. Jesus' response says it all. He loves passionate commitment. Mary was an embarrassment to everyone else. She was a delight to Jesus. Maybe they were waiting for him to deal with her wastefulness. It sounded right. It could have raised a lot of money. They rebuke her, but Jesus rebukes them. He sharply rebukes him. Leave her alone. He comes to her defense. He says, you can help the poor any time you want to. If you're really so bothered about helping the poor, why aren't you doing it? Don't judge her for her actions. Look at your own heart. Jesus declares that she has done a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. This is the one, this is the Son of God who was there at the creation of the world, who threw stars into space, who holds the universe all together in tension, 
He's the one that's created all beauty. He's created the rolling plains. He's created river valleys. He's created the great oceans. He has created all beauty. And he says, she has done a beautiful thing. What an assessment. Our passionate commitment to Jesus is beautiful to him. He loves it. As we come in to finish this morning, Jesus declares that Mary will be remembered throughout history. What a legacy. What a legacy for this woman. I tell you the truth, what Mary has done will never be forgotten. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. She may not have got married. Who knows? She might have done But her legacy was here, stands forever. Her passionate commitment will be forever remembered. It will be talked about all through eternity, never forgotten. What about us? What about you? Are you passionate about Jesus Christ? Or can you take and leave church? Are you passionate about... God's people, about being here amongst God's people. Someone once said this, and I'm going to finish with this. The example of Mary tells me that I'm too reserved. I'm too often concerned with what others think. I'm not loving Jesus as much as I ought. I'm too concerned with myself. I need to think more about actions of extraordinary beauty God has been extravagant with me. He has lavished on me the riches of his grace. He has repeatedly given me things I did not deserve and things I do not appreciate the way I ought. His grace towards me abounds and abounds. How do I respond to him who gave his life for me? God wants to see a church here of people of passionate commitment towards him. Are you passionate about Jesus? Are you going to be part of that?